Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there is huge curiosity surrounding these topics, and we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared, and we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. From uniforms to uniforms. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. Having fun homeschooling? Or... Oh, you know. You know. Yeah, you know it. Please, that's why. <laughs> Wi-Fi is not, not the best in these situations. Yes. Oh, well, we are so excited today. We have Dan McCoggin here. Thanks for being here, Dan. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, it's, uh, so it's so weird to call him Dan. I've always called him Danny, and now I'm calling it Dan. It's, it's Danny. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. And you guys? We're good. good. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Excited about our chat. Likewise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Dan and I met in 2005 at uh, parole officer training, and we have just kind of stayed in touch for like the last 16 years. Isn't that wow. insane? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, Maisie feels super old. Yes. But, um, yeah. It's, it, yeah, we've been friends forever. So thanks for being here. You're welcome. Yeah, so uh, I'll get started. Um, what? Why did you start in corrections? Um, well, basically, I, I went to study criminology and psychology at the U of M, and uh, corrections was the first one that gave me a call to write a test, and and uh, and basically first place that gave me uh, a, a sort of a career type professional job. So uh, there was nothing. Uh, nothing unique about it other than basically the opportunity. Hmm. Cool. That's good. And did, did you know, did you know about corrections? Like when you uh, got the call to write the test, did you yeah. know anything? Not really. Yeah. I, knew, uh, I remember driving by in a bus going to play hockey and seeing the big, I was intrigued by the big institution on, on, on the hill, uh, Stony mountain. And, um, but I never knew much about it. I remember going to the initial training and not really having any, any knowledge about what I was getting into. Yeah. Yeah. I was 23 at the time. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So young and impressionable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ready to take on the world right I, I, yeah and i knew everything i can i can look back and go like i was i, I was thought i was pretty smart back then <laughs> me too hey sharon <laughs> yeah yeah totally mm -hmm. so, and so are you and you're still with corrections now yeah i'm in my 26th year and um i've uh i wow. started off as a correctional officer and i um I've worked uh, in numerous different roles, uh, I think seven different classifications and, and, and started a new job or on a, at a new site uh, at least 15 okay, or times. So I've uh, moved around quite a bit and I got a, uh, a diverse sort of background of uh, experience. 
It was all kind of in that, it was in the same institution though, right? You did, well, you did Rockwood. Right. Yeah, I worked at Stony at the, the Medium, uh, and then I, I transferred to, uh, I did several jobs there, CO2, one CO2 and then I was a rec officer then I transferred to, to Rockwood and uh, as a CO2 and then once I was there I became a correctional supervisor uh, now they're called correctional managers I did that for about five years and then I realized that managing in the public service uh, has its challenges so I I basically chose a different path I did uh, I was uh, I guess around 2005 I would describe myself as is uh, maybe lost. Uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do or how if I even wanted to stay in correction. So uh, a friend of mine gave me an opportunity in HR and then uh, and then opportunity in uh, um, to go on program uh, officer training happened around 2006. And I've been uh, working as a program officer since then. So better part of the last, you know, 15 years at, at uh, Stony Mountain at Rockwood and also at the parole office in Winnipeg. Oh, wow. wow. Which is your, mm -hmm. what's your favorite out of those jobs? Um, I think right now, uh, wasn't always, but uh, out of all the jobs that all I did. Them, yeah. Wow. Uh, I think I get the most uh, purpose and meaning from my, my current role as a pro uh, correctional program facilitator, but I really enjoyed the rec officer job, managing yeah. the, 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 uh, the rec hall and uh, <laughs> making the ice, but it, it, it sort of had its time. It was a lot of fun. There's a lot right. of exercise and a lot of interaction with the defenders doing sports and stuff, but then that sort of, uh, it was time to move on. So, but uh, the, the one that I enjoy the most, I guess, the, and, and uh, it's directly related to like, you know, sort of um, helping others. I feel like I found my niche and I can actually provide a useful service to, uh, to the offender. So uh, I didn't really feel that way as a manager or as a correctional officer. Mm -hmm. You're more managing staff. Yeah. Than, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Sharon, you want to have the, I don't have the question, Sharon. You have the question. Oh, I just, yeah, just, I was going to ask about your experience in CSC, but you sort mm -hmm. of have described that. Um, anything mm -hmm. else you want to touch on with, with your experience or roles in CSC? Yeah, I think uh, uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, when I first started was that, um, I guess I was 23, quite impressionable, naive, and, and the, the culture is very, very powerful in the institution. So anyone who's listening to this might, either have institutional experience or know somebody who does and it's, it's very very powerful and it can also be somewhat uh, negative uh, maybe that's a bit of an understatement so you kind of get drawn into that and uh, uh, trying to wanting to fit in and be part of the the squad or the the the, the crew and uh, um, uh, before you know it um, the culture has a way of seeping into your 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 mental health Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So and and not always in a uh, positive way. And, and uh, although I, I did I did enjoy the camaraderie and mm -hmm. the teamwork aspect, but um, maybe one way to describe it is uh, so if there's um, like a bucket of water and there's like uh, one drop a day of of let's say negativity, and um, before you know it, over time after several years, uh, some of that can really you know you know add up to being a bucket that becomes, you know, quarter full, half full, three quarters full. And, uh, and it's not always yeah. a good thing. It sort of sneaks up on you. Absolutely. And so 
I found that too. That's exactly it. Like that. I love the camaraderie. I loved the crews, the teamwork. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of the, the coping or the, any kind of strategies that happen like in work or after work, were not always, um, healthy for your, mm -hmm. yourself, your psyche. So what, um, what do you do to protect your mental health? Yeah, well, maybe just uh, first, maybe just to give you a bit more backstory with that. So when I was part of a squad and we'd have our days off together and we'd, we'd, we'd hang out and, and um, uh, we had a lot of fun, but there was always, if, whether it was golf or hockey, there was, you know, there wasn't a case of beer too far away. And, and so, um, and there was a lot of like, uh, initially there was a lot of work talk, you know, and so you never really had a, uh, uh, an honest break away from, you know, the people you were hanging out with. Cause if you're off on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm -hmm. your, your friends from, from back home or school or whatever weren't, were working. So, so we gravitated to hanging out with each other. And then, uh, um, so there wasn't really a, a break there. And then there was, you know, there's obviously some maladaptive coping with, you know, drinking, partying and, and, and whatever. So, um, uh, over time that also sort of piled up and uh um uh, in addition to that some of the stuff not just within the culture of the institution but some of the stuff the experiences that i went through so you know um you know you know trying to find a a, a murder weapon walking through blood pools of blood on a murder scene finding a guy hanging in a cell um some of these things started to also pile up and um created uh, a whole host of, you know, sort of negative emotions and, and sort of now that I can look back some, perhaps some, some issues to, uh, um, I don't know, compromise your mental health. And, uh, and some of the coping was done through just hanging out with work people and, and partying. So um, that's sort of just uh, depending on, it's not necessarily the luck of the draw, but uh, when you experience these things in that environment, you become uh, sort of desensitized and it's almost like it's a badge of honor and it's just part of what we do in corrections. It's like suck it up and move on. This is where we work and, and it's going to happen sooner or later. And um, yeah, so that's, uh, that was sort of one of the reasons why I left sort of correctional operations uh, to begin with, because I, I could, I didn't know, it was more of a subconscious decision, I think, mm -hmm. uh, um, than, than to, to actually say there was any defining moment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. and yes, Sharon absolutely. and I always talk about this. Like we, you know, we spent a lot and even like, it, even if it wasn't like us hanging out to we all kind of like just gravitated to certain people. Right. Even like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, uh, if we went off to training or we did whatever, it was like, you always gravitated to the same type of people, but you also liked to almost like, what do they call they, There's like a word for it, like share stories, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of, you know, what I've been through and what I've been through and, you know, and it, it's, it's very hard on your, um, yeah, your lifestyle yeah, outside and, of this bubble, right? And like, your mm. psyche, absolutely. And and also, like when you do hang out with your normal outside of corrections or first <laughs> the normal, they don't know, or they'll say, 
you know, you'll meet somebody and say you work in corrections and they say, Oh my God, you must have the best stories. Tell me the story. Mm -hmm. And they, they want to hear all that. Is it like orange is the new black? Tell us everything. And you're just like, no, I'm just here. I want to just hang out and not talk about work. Right. So it's a thing that never can escape you almost. Yeah, for sure. And so, so I think uh, like when you talk about that, hanging around with work people, so you either commiserate or you find ways to, um, to have uh, to cope. So one way is like, like, so corrections has like corrections type of dark humor. And uh, one time I heard, uh, and I could, could relate to this as well. Um, there's a couple, uh, husband and wife who one works at the pole office and it's a correctional officer. They had, they had a bunch of people over for uh, a, a bit of a party one night and it was all corrections people, except for this one set of neighbors. And they started talking about corrections and stories and, and by the end of the night, these people were stunned and literally they said they never saw these people ever again. They were, they were literally scared away by like the stories and the dark humor and the, the jokes yes, that, that we use to cope. Right. Yes. But, um, uh, um, they, that like it, it literally was seen to be like, like off putting to, to people who don't, who aren't in that type of uh, of role yeah of course like i if you talk about like a hanging or a slashing people are like you just talk about it like it's no big deal but (laughs) totally like it is a big deal if that is Mm -hmm. a massive deal for for the person hanging and for the person responding or for the whatever and and for their family and 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 it has a ripple effect right but it's just like oh yeah another hanging whatever she or she did it again we cut her down whoop de doo we saved her right in time. Like it's, it's funny though, when you do talk about that with your coworker versus. But when people like in even, the public, like civilian, they're like, <laughs> pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I, I actually, I spoke at an event one time. It was like a regular event, just like normal people coming to set some goals. And I threw out, you know, like that time when you watch that woman bite off her own nipple how they, how this came out of my mouth is just like because this happened to me and people's faces were like so they made me they like made me a t-shirt that said it like who says that up in front of like a group of gross people yeah. <laughs> it's normal it's normal yeah. sharon and i would fucking laugh at that why are oh, we laughing yeah. right? well, well that's the thing is that it isn't normal but we yeah. we make attempts to normalize we normalize it yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah, yeah. So crazy. So crazy. <laughs> okay. So I, you, I heard you say like in 2005, I felt lost. Did you know you were lost in 2005? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 For sure. I could, uh, I could, uh, I just remember, uh, I read something not too long ago in either a blog post or listened to a podcast. And, and I remember like feeling uh, more comfortable going to work during the week. And I was working on Monday to Friday at that time. Uh, than I did on the weekends. So, so I, it's not that I was so in love with my job, but I felt more confident within my role and my job. And I, I guess I had, there's some meaning and purpose there. And then my weekends, and I don't know if it was just poor planning or what, but, but I found them to be, I felt more comfortable during the week than I did on weekends. And I thought like, this is backwards or, or, or at the very least, like it's not healthy. And so there was, there's a, uh, some sort of defining moments. There's not necessarily one, but uh, several that were sort of maybe small, small wake up calls. And uh, uh, eventually I decided that I, I needed to, 
make some more significant changes to uh, my support network, to how I was coping, um, uh, like, and to my lifestyle. So, um, you know, when you had asked before, what were some of the things you do to protect your mental health? Uh, I, I, the first thing was realizing that things weren't going well or things weren't smooth. Things weren't how I thought life should be and that I had to make some, 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 some adjustments. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to ask this only because you've said it. it, you're like, it was an identity change. It was like, I had to change. Yeah. So, so for me, I actually didn't realize that. So what, for me, I, uh, transformed to being, um, sort of a partier who had maybe a negative slant on people and life and humanity. So not necessarily a cynic, but maybe more of a, a skeptic. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so just based on what we've experienced and then I, I, I actually, now I can look back and think that I had some underdeveloped skills with regards to coping and just, just thinking skills and, and, and behavioral skills. So, um, but like now that I look back, I, I can see it, but at the time I just knew it felt wrong. So, um, I decided to, uh, start, um, changing the way I behave. So I, I, you know, stopped partying and I, I, I threw myself into, um, uh, um, triathlon. So I, I, and, and running. So, um, what I did was, uh, instead of, you know, week after week doing the same thing, you know, days off partying and then going back to work. And it's like the, the calendar would turn and things would just stay the same. So I, uh, focused, uh, refocused myself, uh, and on, on a couple other things, one of which was triathlon. So I, I, I learned how to, how to swim. And then I, I always biked and ran and I, and I put that into, uh, uh, into practice. And so I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was trying to reshape my identity because I wanted to be seen by others in a, in a guess a more positive light. And so I didn't want to just be this sort of, you know, grouchy correctional officer who, who, let's say partied and had a lot of fun, but, but, but like, it's almost was part of time to grow up as well. So mm -hmm. the other thing that, um, How old, you were like 35 ish. Yeah, I was, uh, I, yeah. And, and I actually, I can laugh about it now, but like, like I, I felt like, at, um, in my early to mid thirties that I was probably, I would say, um, uh, uh, maybe to stunted uh growth uh, uh like of maturity let's just say i'll okay. be the first to admit that so, <laughs> so when i started to make these sort of lifestyle changes and the other thing that really expedited the process was traveling the world Indeed. so I, I like i used to backpack every year for i don't know how many years in a row uh eight or 10 um yeah until my daughter was born anyway so so i started to see what the world had to offer and that there was much more than just going to work and then going out and partying or going to play hockey or golf and in, in my community so so i had this exposure to what the world had to offer and then i was trying to reshape my identity into something different through through uh through triathlon so it was only after a couple of years that I realized what I was actually trying to do mm -hmm. that, that, that like, but, but, uh, I guess I, I was doing it, but I didn't realize that that was a significant motivator in what I was actually doing. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. 
Where, where, tell me about your favorite place to travel. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Before. Oh, geez. Anyway. I don't know. I've been to uh, every continent except for uh, like Antarctica. Yeah. So uh, I guess maybe I won't just give one or two countries. I think what I like to do, my, my uh, favorite is to take our first world money, right? So the money that we make and go and explore sort of third world countries, but not stay in, in impoverished areas necessarily, but but the money goes much further. So you can get like a beachside cabana for like $40 a night in Belize. Mm -hmm. Or or I did uh, trekking to Everest Base Camp and just, just basically almost 50 countries. But each country has its own unique thing. And, and uh, if you're willing to travel safe and explore, uh, put yourself out there, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can really see a lot of interesting things. So, I you know, I one, one year I was in Africa, one year... I've been to Central America, I think, three times. South America, uh, Asia, India. So, so all and and to Europe a couple times. So, so my preference is to go places where it's warm, and you can <laughs> yeah you yeah. can do you can do things. So I'm a doer, like uh, to experience sort of adventures, and uh, in in environments where the 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 you know you don't need to uh, you don't need to uh, break the bank in order to have those mm -hmm. experiences. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And I know you've done Ironman. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So when I started my triathlon journey, there's a slow progression over maybe three or four years to eventually doing an Ironman triathlon. And, uh, the one year actually, uh, before my Ironman, I took my bike down to Nicaragua, Costa Rica and Panama. And I trained for six weeks, uh, to do, uh, an Ironman, uh, in, in, uh, uh, Panama. So, um, I, I did one, uh, and the swim was in the Panama Canal, and I actually raced oh, against cool. La Lance Armstrong, which was really cool. That's when <laughs> oh, he made. Really? It, that's yeah, that's when he was making his comeback. Uh, that was 2012, I believe, February. It was right around Remembrance Day because I botched that. That was the day after. Uh, I forgot to get my wife a gift. She came down and met me for the last three. Oh, for Valentine's Day. For okay. Valentine's Day, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, no, triathlon's been uh, very rewarding and I really enjoyed it. And I had uh, an, an okay amount of uh, success, achieved a lot of my personal goals with regards to triathlon. And I guess the number one goal that wasn't my initial, uh, part of my initial intention uh, was to reshape uh, my, my identity for myself, most importantly. But then as a result, it, it, it um, reshaped it and how other people perhaps viewed me and and, uh, you know, a lot of times I pride myself in not really giving a shit about what other people think, but for, for those that I want to, uh, to present well to. So the people sort of in my inner circle of friends and family, that was See, important. Here's the cool thing. Here's the cool, cause I teach goal setting. So I love this. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know what the result was going to be. That's always like, you're like, oh, the goal is to be an iron man. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So what do you got to do to become an iron man? And lots mm -hmm. of times we focus on the, what the result is going to be instead of focusing on the process. So like mm -hmm. when people, you know, you go on a diet and like after seven days, you lose 10 pounds. And then four days later, you're up 17 pounds and you're like pissed <laughs> off and you're like, fuck <laughs> this. Right. And then, but if, you're, if you just focus on the process and what you have to do each day in those little steps, the result is always bigger or always mm -hmm. different than what you expected. Yeah. Sure. You finish the Ironman. 
but you also change your identity about how you feel about yourself. So your confidence increased, the people around you changed, your support system became, it's so interesting. Cause it's like, that is the whole like thing about goal setting. Whereas lots of people are just like, this is the outcome. How do I get there? And when I don't do it in seven to 14 days, I just say, forget it. Right. right it doesn't yeah. matter what the outcome is. Just do the things and the outcome will t- always be 10,000 times better than you think it's going to be. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And goal setting is so massive, especially when you're going through, um, even if you don't know you're going through it, like you're like, I didn't know what I was going through. I just mm-hmm. knew something had to change the way mm-hmm. that I felt about myself, the way I presented myself, the way, um, yeah, you just knew it was like something, something has to happen here in order for me to feel like I've accomplished something in my life. Yeah, so that, I, yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. I love that. I love that. It is. It's yeah. Cause 2005, you were feeling lost and it's that awareness piece. And we always go on about that and you knew something had to change. So just, um, for people who don't know, like what is an Ironman and what is a triathlon for people yeah. who don't Also, know. you ran Boston Marathon too, didn't you? Yeah, I ran, uh, I qualified in 2016. I ran Boston Marathon in 2017. So four years ago now, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So a, a triathlon is uh, it's a three-sport discipline where uh, you, you, and it's always in this order, you swim, you bike, then you run. If the swim was last, then I think there'd be more casualties. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, it's quite uh, extensive. So how um, how long is the swim? Tell us how long. Because lots of people don't know this stuff. I know yeah, you know yeah. it. So oh. so there's different levels of triathlon. There's sort of a sprint uh, distance and Olympic distance, which is the one that they do in the Olympics. And there's a half Ironman and a full Ironman. And uh, they all have different um, distances. Um, anyone can Google it, I'm sure, but the, the, the Ironman triathlon is a 3.8 kilometer swim. So, you know, that can take, uh, some of my friends who are really good swimmers about an hour. Uh, and it took me, I think it was around one, one, um, just under one and a half hour swim. And so oh, that's wow. 3,800 meters. So that would be equivalent to, if you go to your local pool, probably about, uh, 70, 78 laps. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, okay, I can't do that. Uh, Sherry, no. can you do that? I no. can't even swim. I can't swim. Okay, sure, so, I can't swim. I can't swim. Yeah. So, and, and that's what you said. You said you had to learn to swim. I had to learn to swim, actually. So uh, maybe uh, a story that really helped me propel myself. So I was sitting in India with uh, uh, a guy who I consider one of my best friends and a, a mentor that I met traveling. The Everest Base Camp. We were having uh, ice cream and tea in Dharmsala. That's where the Dalai Lama lives. And uh, um, so uh, he was talking about his Ironman experience. And I'm like, yeah, I used to be one of my community. I did the, the run portion of the relay one time. And I'm like, yeah, I should do that. I should learn how to swim. And he, he brought up to my attention that I said the word should a lot. And I'm like, and then he said, so quit saying should. Why don't you do it? And then he, he, he tapped into something there that like, uh, you know, it was a bit of a challenge and then I made a commitment and that's how I got started into it. So, but back to the, uh, distances. So the bike is 180 kilometers long. So, um, I don't know. That's like, if you basically get in your car and drive on a highway for about two hours, that would be equivalent mm-hmm. to the distance of the bike. And then the Ironman, um, uh, run is a marathon. So a full marathon after. Jeez. 
So the bike can take anywhere between, you know, five to six to six and a half, depending. And then the marathon, well, depends on what you got left, right? (laughs) Right? Most people run the marathon, like, you know, unless you're very, very competitive, like somewhere between three and a half to four and a half hours. So uh, all in total, uh, the cutoff, uh, there's cutoffs if you don't, um, but uh, you need to accomplish it in under 17 hours. Oh, and wow. I managed to do it in uh, 11:58. So I put a lot of work into it. Wow, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a long day. <laughs> no, that's why I told you uh, that book that I was telling you to read. Um, yes, yeah, can't hurt me. Yeah, you'll yeah you'll love it. He talks yeah. a lot about like those sorts of things. So yeah, and all mm-hmm. the ones he's done and all the. Um, and then he had like a heart condition that he found out when he was older and how he shouldn't have been able to do all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a real, it's a really good story. Have you read that book, Sharon? Can't hurt me. No, I don't David, think so. David Goggins. It's really good. Actually, if you're even like any sort of, he's military backgrounds, military. Um, but just like the, the mental, the mental power, right? Like a lot of mm-hmm. these things aren't physical. They're very, they're very mental. Mental. Yeah. I always wonder like when people, when I see people doing those long distance, right? Like, what are they thinking about? Cause I would be thinking this hurts. I have to stop. I can't keep going. <laughs> I got a pain in my side. Like, <laughs> well, Where's the things- snack? Where's the snack yeah. table? <laughs> yeah, you definitely go through when you're do if you do distance, uh, whether, whether it's a, just running or, or triathlon, you definitely, have all those those thoughts eh, encroach your thinking and um you know you you have to learn to be okay with uncomfortable and with Mm -hmm. pain to some 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 degree but that's what the training is all about so when lauren was talking about goal setting um i i i uh swam a thousand meters on uh sunday before last at the pool and i had a really hard time doing it so, but at one point I could swim over 4,000. So, so it's just about putting in the time and, and the work and uh, doing it in small increments and goal steps mm-hmm. um, and, and, and continuing to work at it. So um, that's really what it's, uh, you know, achieving something like that's all about. Uh, I do the same thing with my pre-pregnancy genes. <laughs> Why don't I get back into those? (laughs) And then I have to realize maybe that's not where I'll ever be again in my life. So I'm going to go for a walk and drink my water and do my things. Maybe one day. One day, Uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think we can all relate, especially after COVID. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Actually, I was telling Sharon, COVID's been really good because, like, I'm I'm very much like a social. I'm an extrovert Uh, through and through. mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of like my, a lot of drinking, eating, those sorts of things happen with groups of people. I'm not necessarily like a drinker or a a, Mm -hmm. like snacker and I even really a snacker. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. it's when I get with people that I'm like, I need a drink. I need a snack. I need all these things. Right. Right. So COVID's actually been really good for me because I'm so, I socially (laughs) do these things. I don't introvertly do these things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, what are we at? Sharon's holding up the timer. Everybody. Okay. Okay. (laughs) She changed it. All right. Okay. Good. All right. right. Yeah. We're good. We're okay. So, yeah, go ahead. I don't think I answered your question about how do I protect my mental health. And uh, I like maybe, maybe kind of dipping a toe into it, but 
uh, there, there's a whole bunch of strategies that over the years that I've sort of adopted that because um, because the culture can be really negative. There's a lot of things that we see or hear uh, from day to day, whether it's an, an, an overt, obvious trauma or sometimes um, things seep in through what's called vicarious trauma. So some mm-hmm. of the stuff that we, we read or, or hear about and um, um, almost it's almost like uh, uh, it's impossible to leave. I believe, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that the, anybody who, who, when they finally leave corrections for whatever reason, I, I feel like that it's almost impossible to leave unscathed. So, so to have some sort of compromise to your physical, your mental, your emotional, your spiritual health. And so, so vicarious trauma is this sort of toxicity that kind of creeps into your consciousness. And it's something that maybe you don't think about uh, on a day-to-day basis, but it just sort of bleeds into you and becomes part of you. So, um, uh, and some of it could even be the fact that, um, you know, we don't like the way decisions are made or, or policies. Um, the toxicity isn't always just, you know, the stuff that happens or the experiences we have with offenders. Uh, I find that um, more, more of the challenges come from, from other dynamics. So I always try to find a way to, uh, to be able to manage that. Uh, probably for about the last 12 to 15 years, I've been... Um, I, I, I want to be friendly and a supportive coworker, but I don't want to be, I've really distanced myself from my, my colleagues and, uh, and so, and making sure that I maintain my support network with, with, uh, people who are outside of corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just family and, and, uh, my partner and my daughter, but also, uh, well, my, my, my friends. So, uh, and, and, uh, when I was changing my identity and, and I also changed my support group through triathlon. So mm-hmm. I adopted a lot of training buddies or triathlon, um, um, club friends and so forth. So, uh, another thing is, uh, um, since about 2005, I gravitated to like, like continuous self-improvement. So it's almost been this, uh, it's not insatiable, but it sort of ebbs and flows, but always seeking to understand more, create more awareness and insight about how I work and how I think. And so um, uh, I really feel like that's been beneficial to my mental health. So a um, couple other strategies are that um, I would, uh, I would uh, there's, there's a concept of sort of resting before you get tired. So understanding when things aren't going well and maybe there's frustration and perhaps even uh, first glimpses of burnout and taking time off, even, even uh, taking time away from work if things are stressful in order to manage my mental health. Because if you don't, I feel like things could all pile up and, mm-hmm. and then go sideways. Just snowball um, from, you said something interesting. And I, I, yeah. I know that when I, when I step back and look, um, even through this whole COVID thing, it's like focus on the things that I can control. And yeah. I remember being in the institution going, I don't like that decision. I don't like this, I, but it doesn't matter what I think really mm-hmm. in those situations. It's, is it in my control? No, great. Next. Mm-hmm. And I piled on so many things that were out of my control. Like what happened when yeah. I wasn't there? If, you know, did they have to order someone tonight? Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one else gives a shit if you're getting ordered tomorrow <laughs> night. So why are you caring? So yeah. I carried a lot of the burden that was not mine to carry. And I looked back and I, I constantly do this with COVID. Everybody's like, Oh, you know, my business shut down. I'm like, 
It's out of your control. I, I know how hard this must be, right? Like Sharon, you and I talk about this all the time. This mm -hmm. is effing hard. What can we control in this moment instead of focusing mm -hmm. on, because Sharon yeah. can't go work. She yeah. can't go work. So what can Sharon do? Sharon can, <laughs> you know, post on social media. Sharon can talk to people about, about Sharon can do all these mm -hmm. things, but it's like, yes, you can't go to work. And that is so hard. I, Oh, it's yeah. tough. It's a tough thing, Absolutely. but you've got to focus on the things you can control because the, the things you can't will just fucking mm -hmm. take you there. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. What, I, what I hear you talking about is if you study or do any sort of reading about stoicism, yes. sometimes you get a bad, a bad rap for uh, being unemotional, but really uh, there's one concept in stoicism and it's uh, referred to as the trichotomy of control. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you drew two lines down a piece of paper and had three columns and one column, what are the things that you do control? So you control uh, your thinking, your emotions, your behavior, your goals, your values. Okay. And, and, and there's a, a few other things that we actually have like, like total control over. And then the second one, the things I don't control, which is pretty much everything else. But then the third column is what are the things that I have potential influence on? Right. Okay. So, so, so for sure, the things in the middle column, I don't control, we need to find a way to, um, to just like accept them and let them go. Okay. And, or maybe, uh, uh maybe it's forgiving ourselves or others or, or mm -hmm. just letting go of things. And then, so, um, and it's focusing on the things we do control or potentially the things that we have influence on. So, mm -hmm. so if, if we're, we're really wasting our time in that middle column, uh, if you will, uh, uh and, and it can really eat us up. And, and so by focusing on that, I almost describe it as, uh, it's just going to create bitterness and resentment and grudges and all these things will re really eat you up on the inside. And uh, so, so finding a way to accept them and, and process them and, and, and letting them go is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And like Sharon, Sharon's like, Oh, my business is closed, but now we're finding new adventures, like just little things like that. It's like, yeah, our business is shut down. So here's what we're doing in the meantime, instead, yeah. instead because you know, we only get one life. We only get mm -hmm. to, you know, sometimes yeah. I wish my business would shut down from my little home <laughs> office here. It's yeah, like, why yeah. do I get yeah. to shut down? <laughs> I know, I know. And it's so funny because it's like, this is the third time. And it's like, right. you know, you, you start like going, I'm looking really hard now to find like, <laughs> yeah. positive, right? Yeah, I know, I'm I know. searching, but it's like, yeah, we can podcast. That's you even said, you're like, you're like, yes, now we get to podcast. Now I'm we're like, going to podcast like crazy. And calm down. No, yeah, calm down. <laughs> calm down. We're going to podcast like crazy. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're yeah. going to write, we're going to do tons of different things and we're going to get books probably like there's yeah. so much, right. That you can do if you look at it. Cause like that, even that COVID burnout piece, right. Your world starts to get smaller. It's mm -hmm, smaller. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. The, the first time, like I'm an introvert, so I'm okay. But the first <laughs> yes. time it was like, we've got all these adventures planned. And now, now come around to this time. I'm like, I'm sick of Alberta. Like, honestly, like <laughs> I'm ready. I'm a, I'm a traveler like you, not as extensively, but uh -huh. I'd love to travel to have at least three trips planned, all that stuff. So all that stuff's taken away. So now it's like, Sharon was supposed to be in Jamaica for her 50th birthday. For my 50th. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. turned 50 on Saturday. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, there. so some of those things, right? You got to just find 
yeah, refocus, reshift. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm in Banff, which it could be worse for my 50th, right? But I'm not in Jamaica, mm-hmm. but right, I'm yeah, also yeah. not not wherever, right? So it's it's good. I always every time I go to Banff because we have so many friends from Australia, they are always so jealous. Like every time I post a picture, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous." I'm like, "What?" Like this mm-hmm. is in I grew up in Calgary, so Banff has always been like, is, in my back it's pocket, the back right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we go all the time, so I'm just like, "Yeah, you're right. I should feel very fortunate that this is where." My World shitty, class. my shitty vacation ended up because <laughs> <laughs> I always tell my husband it doesn't count if we don't fly. Um, yeah, that's if, right. <laughs> if, we, if we don't have to fly there, it doesn't count. So, yeah. And we have a we have a trip booked at the end of the month to BC, but you know that probably won't happen. So it'll probably be me and Jody and Bamps. So yeah, yeah good to me. I'll do that. So yeah, no so, kidding. So maybe a couple other things that um, so if for somebody, a lot of times, sometimes uh, or a lot of times, sometimes, but people stay in corrections <laughs> because yeah. maybe they're scared of change or. They're not sure Pension. what else they might do, right? Money. So, so Money. I really, yeah. So I really feel like being financially responsible is so you don't have to be tied to. If if you feel like the institution is a negative environment, Lauren's Dad, shaking your head. Dad, Dad is so financially <laughs> responsible. It's not even funny. Well, but but here's <laughs> but it's good. So but here's the payoff. So I if I if I it wasn't for COVID and I was able to travel, I would have been retired by now. Right. And my wife retired uh, last February because we've been financially responsible. So essentially late in our late forties, we're, we're packing it in and, and going to take on some new adventures. And so, so being financially responsible so that, um, so the negative environment has less control of you for, for yeah. the less amount of time. So just, I know it's not easy, but uh, people can um, um, maybe, uh, seek to understand how they can be more financially responsible, make healthier decisions. So, and and uh, a couple other things that I can't speak enough about how uh, supportive my my partner and and my I have a seven year old daughter. So, um, like I I, off, I I say sometimes like there's like three turning points in my life. So one is like when I came out of the womb. <laughs> the, the, the second one is when my wife agreed to share her life with me and, and move in together. And then the third is the birth of our daughter. So so I kind of all those things speak of the life that we have together, the three of us. And so having that sort of a, a sort of unconditional love and support network. Uh, has been tremendous. So, and, and, and in addition to that, you know, all the good friends and family and uh, um, that, that have been very, very supportive and maintaining relationships with people, um, you know, makes me feel like I'm not alone. So back in 2005, where I felt, you know, confused, lost. And, 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 and now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, there was a lot of feelings of loneliness too. Even though I wasn't alone, I had supports, but maybe, was just too embarrassed to ask or, 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 or whatever. So if I, I have to tell you though, cause I, I think of you often when I do make financial decisions, cause when I knew Dan, I was 22 years old. So I was just like, bam, 
yeah, let's, I'm making all this money as a credit. Yeah. I was just like, money everywhere. John would get mad. He'd be like, come on, stop being like that. So it's sometimes now when I make a good financial decision, I'm like, that's that would, something John would do. There you go. <laughs> like when I clean my own windows or something like that, you know? Yeah. Lauren used to say, we have people, we hire people for that. And I'm like, yeah, no, how yeah. hard is it? One day he was like, I'm cleaning my windows. And I was like, why? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, don't you hire people to clean? Like, he's like, hire? You hire? I'm like, well, I don't, but my parents did. Like, so right, right. come and clean the windows. Yeah. My mom and loves that somewhere. story. Yeah. So, so, so the other thing to manage mental health is, uh, uh, and, and that I've actually do and enjoy, and this is another reason why I get so much purpose and meaning from my job is each time I run a correctional program with the offenders, I actually run myself through the program. So I do a lot of the worksheets and I am I'm, I'm sort of uh, bringing to the top of mind all the skills uh, that, that are part of the, the correctional program. So, so right now we're doing the steps to manage thinking. And so I uh, do uh, sort of monthly and not every month, but thinking challenges. So what's been, what's been irritating to me? What, what are some of the negative emotions? And then what's behind, what's the thought behind that? So, and that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is. Mm -hmm. So I can't emphasize enough that, that if we have uh, struggles with our mental health, okay, that uh, if we can somehow clean up and clear up some of our, our negative, unhelpful thinking, that that can lead to healthier emotions and then perhaps better decision-making and, and uh, healthier behavior. So it's not all, it, that sounds so easy just to, to verbalize that in a basically several sentences. Um, um, so, but um, if anyone's interested in exploring that, you know, there's, there's, there's copious amounts of information on the web about cognitive behavioral therapy, but I guess uh, the, the, the real underlying theme is, is, you know, sort of what you think is who you are and what you're going to do. So if you're not happy with what you're feeling and what you're doing, um, seek to understand sort of what, what's driving you. What are your values? What are your beliefs? Um, and are they my beliefs or are they things that were given to me that I mm -hmm. believe that I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and am I believing them just to get, seek approval of others yeah. or am I believing things just to sort of get control of other people or have self-control for myself? So, so a lot of our beliefs are, are driven by approval and or control issues. Mm -hmm. And so seeking to understand, um, you know, those, those two things is, uh, is, uh, is very, very important. So I wanted to make sure I got that in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That, it's, and that's, uh, I just, I, so I recently was, uh, back seeing my psychologist and I, I Taryn and I've talked about this before, but she was like, do you think maybe you're a perfectionist? And I was like, no, not at all. And I'm like, if you think I'm a perfectionist, you should see my car. And you know what she said to me? That's exactly what a perfectionist would say. <laughs> like, and I had to go through the whole cognitive behavioral process of like, yeah. what is this belief? Why do I think this? Is it something that I actually believe? Or is it something that was handed down to me by someone else that puts a lot of pressure on myself that I just keep doing to mm -hmm. exactly to, um, we're either living for like, we're either avoiding fear or going towards purpose. So we're either doing one of those things and it was yeah. like totally avoiding. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I'm a diagnosed mm -hmm. bunch of things, perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. which is okay, right? Like okay. I'm learning, yeah. but I know how to manage it better. And I know that that's where anxiety comes from. The need to so, be perfect. So a couple of things that you said that are, are really noteworthy is that first of all, you're willing to admit it. So you're okay with being vulnerable. And even to a form yeah. on a form like this, that's so important. So, cause mm-hmm. so often we, we feel shame or we hide our, our embarrassment. So we hide our beliefs and we have this great big cover up of them. Mm. And, and so, and so the other thing is, is just being honest with ourselves. So you can't change something that you don't recognize or you can't acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. by acknowledging it and being vulnerable, then you can start doing the work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, okay. Absolutely. What's the last question you want to ask Sharon? Uh, basically you touched on a little bit, but I'm going to ask you anyway, what mm-hmm. are you living for? So what oh. are you living for? Yeah. So, uh, like if it wasn't COVID, I, like I said, we both be retired. So having more time to spend with, but with my wife and daughter and, uh, we've got tra- uh, plans to travel. Right. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. one thing, uh, um, so, so, um, but what am I living for? I guess, um, ultimately when you, you can make a choice whether you want to be happy or not. So, if, if each person were to clean up their own sort of area, their own thinking, then, and everybody was walking around mostly happy, I think it all starts with us, right? Within us. Mm-hmm. So, so what do I live for is, 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 is being as healthy as I possibly can, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, and uh, to spend time with family. And, uh, but the other thing that I noticed through COVID when I wasn't working and delivering programs is that I have a, a need to, to work with people and help people. So, um, so I, I noticed that there was a void when that wasn't happening. So I know that in, in, um, in, in the future, I, st- I want to continue working with people to help them understand what they can do to have a more fulfilling life. So that's basically what I do right now. That's not written in any corrections manual, but that's the way <laughs> I define it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, is uh, you know what can we do to be of service to others? So that's amazing. Yeah. That's so oh. good. Yeah, so good, yeah. so good. <laughs> yes, we oftentimes get so wound up in our own little life, and we create tunnel vision, and and we get very self-centered and and stuff, and and so whenever I feel like that's happening, it's like, well, what can I do? What can I offer to other people? How can I be? How can I help somebody else? So mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, um, we, I think it's always having that as a, a, a sort of a friendly reminder to ourselves. So maybe we should put that, that sign on our door before we leave under the, uh, lock your car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Make yeah. a sign. Send it to me in an email and I'll print it off. Yeah, there you Dad go. I was telling yeah. these guys before we got on the podcast that we have signs all over our house for, Locking car doors, zipping up flies, not entering the room while mom's doing her podcast. No one cares. Yeah. No one cares about any of the signs. They're just all over the house. Yeah. So I know we're getting short on time, but uh, in, in the future, like Tara and I are looking at, my wife Tara and I are looking at developing our own sort of coaching type of business, similar to what uh, Lauren does, and 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 uh, and perhaps uh, uh, we haven't we haven't started with any clients, but uh, technically been working with clients for. Uh, both of okay. us for decades, right? So, so we have all the skills and the programs pretty much developed. So we're ready to 
to take on clients if people are interested. So if anyone is listening uh, and they like some, some of what they've heard and they might be able to, to relate or some of this resonates, you can send us an email to, uh, it's just called Dan and Tara coaching at gmail.com. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah appreciate it. That was amazing. Pleasure. That was fun. That was awesome. It was really fun. Thank yeah. you so much. You're welcome. Hey. I enjoyed it. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at from uniforms to unicorns, uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, speaker, all of those. Also feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day. Love, Lauren and Sharon. <laughs>